Hello, everyone. My name is Matthew McDonald, and you are listening to Poetry in an Emergency. It has been a while since I recorded the previous episode of this podcast, and that is simply because I've been feeling overwhelmed by everything that's going on in the world. And in addition to that, I have four young children at home, so things are quite chaotic at times, and uh, I just haven't found the time or the inclination to record an episode until this evening. And I have to confess that being a cinematographer and not being able to practice my art and craft as I'm used to has left me feeling rather blue these days. And I'm very much looking forward to this pandemic being over, the physical distancing and quarantine measures being over, and being able to get back to my art and craft. But for the time being, here I am, sharing some poetry with you. The first poem that I would like to share with you is one that means quite a lot to me personally. When my wife and I moved to Ottawa for me to study political science at Carleton University uh, several years ago now, um, I wasn't entirely sure what the future held, and I had a lot of trepidation about the future. And then we discovered that we were going to have our first child, and that left me with an even greater feeling of trepidation. I was excited, I was looking forward to meeting uh, our new child, but I also had a lot of worry, uh, and I discovered this poem uh, in the Portable Beat Reader, edited by Anne Charters, a well-used uh, volume that I've had for a number of years, uh, and this poem really spoke to me. This is a poem by Diane de Prima, and it speaks about uh, heartbreak and love and children, and for me, it also gave me a sense of hope or acceptance of what the future held. Uh, it gave me the courage to embrace the future, to embrace the unknown, and it resonated so powerfully with me that I have a framed copy of this poem next to a photograph of our first child, because it meant a lot to me when I first read it. And I enjoy reading it, and it's a short poem, uh, but I'm happy that I can share it with you. I reached out to Diane de Prima's literary agency, and Diane de Prima herself has given me permission uh, to read this poem uh, for you uh, in this podcast. So I would like to share Song for Baby O Unborn by Diane de Prima uh, with permission of the author and the Sandra Dijkstra uh, Literary Agency. So this is Song for Baby O Unborn by Diane de Prima. Sweetheart, when you break through, you'll find a poet here, not quite what one would choose. I won't promise you'll never go hungry, or that you won't be sad on this gutted, breaking globe. But I can show you, baby, enough to love, to break your heart forever. As an artist, it's, it's always a concern, the future, what the future holds. Uh, I've been very fortunate in my career, but for a lot of artists, the future is the great unknown. And it's something that we need to simply embrace or persevere in the face of. In this poem, Diane de Prima is not promising uh, her child, a life without worry, a life without want or need, 
She's not promising that her child will never go hungry. But she's promising love. And she's promising a a peculiar or a special kind of love. She promises to show her child enough to love to break your heart forever. And this really speaks to me. And it is also an example of what I think makes truly great poetry great. The idea of there being enough to love to break your heart forever. And the beauty of that, but also the power of that phrase. And, you know, the sense that I have that I don't know exactly what she means, but I have a powerful uh, sense of what it feels like, or what that feels like, to me at least. And so this poem for me is very evocative, and it evokes a lot of feelings, and uh, it inspires me. And I'm happy that I was able to share it with you. So that was Song for Baby O Unborn by Diane De Prima. The next poem I would like to share with you is by W.H. Auden, who you may know is one of my favorite poets. And so I'll be reading a number of his poems throughout uh, the episodes I intend to record. Uh, This is a poem about loneliness in a sense, or about the feeling of being alone, or what it means to be alone, or whether or not we are in fact alone. Uh, like, Like many of Auden's poems, it has a variety of different layers. And I think I'll just share it with you without comment. I've been feeling uh, alone through this pandemic in a certain sense, or certainly struggled with feelings of loneliness, despite the full house that I'm, that I'm currently in, uh, which is beautiful and wonderful. But at the same time, I feel stuck artistically and creatively. This uh, podcast, of course, as you may have guessed, is an effort to express myself creatively and also share some of my creative energy with whoever might be interested in listening. But so I'm going to read Alone uh, by W.H. Auden, and this is used by permission of Curtis Brown Limited, copyright 1945, all rights reserved. This is Alone by W.H. Auden. Each lover has a theory of his own about the difference between the ache of being with his love and being alone. Why what when dreaming is dear flesh and bone that really stirs the senses when awake appears a simulacrum of his own? Narcissus disbelieves in the unknown. He cannot join his image in the lake so long as he assumes he is alone. The child, the waterfall, the fire, the stone are always up to mischief, though, and take the universe for granted as their own. The elderly, like Proust, are always prone to think of love as a subjective fake. The more they love, the more they feel alone. Whatever view we hold, it must be shown why every lover has a wish to make some other kind of otherness his own. Perhaps, in fact, we never are alone. In a sense, I feel like he's saying that the shared human experience of feeling alone, in fact, is something that connects us 
and therefore means that we are never, in fact, alone. But there are many other elements to this poem. The stanza where he says, the child, the waterfall, the fire, the stone are always up to mischief, though, and take the universe for granted as their own. This reminds me of another poem by W.H. Auden that I'm going to share with you. Uh, and that's his poem, Mundus et Infans. Uh, this is a poem that he wrote uh, for a good friend of his and, uh, and his partner who were expecting a child. Uh, and it is all about the nature of uh, childhood, especially the nature of a newborn child. This is Mundus et Infans by W.H. Auden, used by permission of Curtis Brown Limited, copyright 1945, all rights reserved. Kicking his mother until she let go of his soul has given him a healthy appetite. Clearly her role in the new order must be to supply and deliver his raw materials free. Should there be any shortage, she will be held responsible. She also promises to show him all such attentions as befit his age. Having dictated peace, with one fist clenched behind his head, heel drawn up to thigh, the cocky little ogre dozes off, ready, though, to take on the rest of the world at the drop of a hat or the mildest nudge of the impossible. Resolved, cost what it may, to seize supreme power and sworn to resist tyranny to the death with all forces at his command. A pantheist, not a solipsist, he cooperates with a universe of large and noisy feeling states, without troubling to place them anywhere special, for, to his eyes, funny face or elephant as yet mean nothing. His distinction between me and us is a matter of taste. His seasons are dry and wet. He thinks as his mouth does. Still, his loud iniquity is still what only the greatest of saints become, someone who does not lie. He, because he cannot stop the vivid present to think, they, by having got past reflection, into a passionate obedience in time. We have our boy-meets-girl era of mirrors and muddle to work through, without rest, without joy. Therefore we love him because his judgments are so frankly subjective that his abuse carries no personal sting. We should never dare offer our helplessness as a good bargain, without at least promising to overcome a misfortune we blame history or the banks or the weather for. But this beast dares to exist without shame. Let him praise our Creator with the top of his voice, then, and the motions of his bowels. Let us rejoice that he lets us hope, for he may never become a fashionable or important personage. However bad he may be, he has not yet gone mad. Whoever we are now, we were no worse at his age. So, of course, we ought to be glad when he balls the house down. Has he not a perfect right to remind us at every moment how we quite rightly expect each other to go upstairs or for a walk if we must cry over spilt milk, such as our wish that, since apparently we shall never be above either or both, we had never learned to distinguish between hunger and love? And that was Mundus et Infans by W.H. Auden. This is a Latin title meaning The World and the Child. The last poem I'm going to read for you right now is another poem by W.H. Auden. This is a poem that he wrote 
1951, my understanding is that he was traveling through an airport. It's a very evocative poem, as most of his poems are, and I'll simply read it to you and let it sit with you, and I hope that you get something out of it. This is In Transit by W.H. Auden, used by permission of Curtis Brown Limited, copyright 1951, all rights reserved. Let out where two fears intersect, a point selected jointly by general staffs and engineers. In a wet land, facing rough oceans, never invaded by Caesar's or a Cartesian doubt, I stand, pale, half asleep, inhaling its new fresh air that smells so strongly of soil and grass, of toil and gender. But not for long. A professional friend is at hand, who, smiling, leads us indoors. We follow in file, obeying that fond peremptory tone reserved for those nervously sick and children one cannot trust, who might be tempted by pawns or learn some disgusting trick from a ragamuffin. Through modern pains, I admire a limestone hill I have no permission to climb, and the pearly clouds of a sunset that seems oddly early to me. Maybe an ambitious lad stares back, dreaming of elsewhere and our godlike freedom. Somewhere are places where we have really been, dear spaces of our deeds and faces, scenes we remember as unchanging because there we changed, where shops have names, dogs bark in the dark at a stranger's footfall, and crops grow ripe and cattle fatten under the kind protection of a godling or goddessling whose affection has been assigned them to heed their needs and plead in heaven the special case of their place. Somewhere, too, unique for each, his frontier dividing past from future, reached and crossed without warning. That bridge where an aging destroyer takes his last salute, in his rear all rivals fawning, in cages or dead, ahead a field of wrath, and that narrow pass where, late from a sullen childhood, a fresh creator yields, glowing, to a boyish rapture, wild Gothic peaks above him, below Italian sunshine, Italian flesh. But here we are nowhere, unrelated to day or to Mother Earth in love or in hate. Our occupation leaves no trace on this place, or each other who do not meet in its mere enclosure, but are exposed as objects for speculation, aggressive creatures, on their way to their prey, but now quite docile, told to wait, and controlled by a voice that from time to time calls some class of souls to foregather at the gate. It calls me again to our plane, and soon we are floating above a possessed, congested surface, a world. Down there, motives and natural processes are stirred by spring, and wrongs and graves grow greenly. Slaves in quarries against their wills feel the will to live renewed by the song of a loose bird, 
immaculate cities are spared through the prayers of illiterate saints, and an ancient feud reopens with the debacle of a river. That was In Transit by W. H. Auden. Thank you for listening.